The Bible Study Podcast, Episode 175. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of fruitful parenting. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue the study of fruitful parenting today, and first of all, let me apologize for my voice. I have come down with a cold, so this is going to be a little harder to listen to than usual. And hopefully I won't blow my nose in the middle of a podcast, which I'm told I did sometime recently and failed to edit out. If someone will tell me where, I would be glad to go back and take that out of that show. We're going to look today at some biblical examples of parenting, and we're going to look at specifically some biblical examples of bad parenting or questionable parenting in the Bible. And you'd be surprised, I think, how many there are, or at least I'm surprised how many there are. If you go back to the first parents, Adam and Eve, they clearly had no how-to guidebooks. They clearly had no Dr. Spock or how to raise healthy children or anything like that. But their first two kids they had, Cain and Abel, one murdered the other. Now, you'd have to say that in most families, a 50% murderer rate would be a higher number than we desire. And things don't get a whole lot better after that. Abraham, we know, was a man who was faithful to God, and part of that faithfulness included taking Isaac and binding him to an altar to sacrifice him. Now, again, I'm not saying that he was wrong, but certainly if you tried that today, child services would take your child away. Isaac's parenting skills are certainly worse than Abraham's. Abraham, at least, was following what God wanted him to do and trusting that God would provide a way out. Isaac had two different children who were different from birth, as children often are, and clearly had a favorite. Isaac had Esau and Jacob, and clearly Esau was the one that he liked, and Jacob was his mother's son. And Jacob turns out to be a trickster, one who steals his brother's birthright. Again, having 50% of your children being thieves is, again, a higher percentage than most of us would like. But fortunately, Jacob learned from his father's favoritism, and when he had 12 sons, he... (laughs) No, he actually had favorites, too, because, of course, he ended up with two wives and two handmaidens and 12 children, and it was clear to everyone whose were his favorite. His favorite was Joseph. And in good parenting style, he shows all his kids who his favorites are by giving Joseph a brightly colored coat of many colors. That may, as you recall, not end well as his brothers sell him into slavery. At that point, we have nine or ten of the brothers out of twelve who are selling a son into slavery. Again, a little higher percentage than most families would enjoy. Aaron's sons so displease God that he consumes them with fire. In Judges, we have this constant theme that after the judge dies, things go back to the way they were with people worshiping other gods. As soon as Gideon dies, for instance, apparently his sons don't continue on with the worship of God. Eli's sons are so wicked, so God has to send the prophet Samuel through someone else. But then we get to King David, and David is, of course, a man after God's own heart. And so certainly this is someone who will do better with parenting. Except, of course, that at one point, David runs for his life because his son is trying to kill him, his son Absalom. 
But he does leave a good son. He leaves a wise son, Solomon, on the throne. And Solomon, we're told, is the wisest of all people. And certainly we use a lot of the wisdom of Solomon from Proverbs as we look at parenting. And we will use some of the Proverbs in this particular study. We'll use Proverbs like spare the rod and spoil the child, but we use other Proverbs that I think are less controversial and certainly show great wisdom. And so clearly Solomon is someone who is going to raise wise sons, except that Solomon's son is such a fool that he takes bad counsel immediately after his father's death and causes the kingdoms of the north and the south to be split. And so this has to leave me with a question. If parenting is so important, if the way that we treat one another in relationship, of which parenting is a very important relationship, is so important to God, and I believe it is, why does he keep choosing such loser parents to talk about in the Bible? Can we use biblical wisdom if we keep seeing people in the Bible who are bad parents? And I think that's a good question to ask, but I think the reality is, is parenting is hard and basically all of us are going to screw up. And that's really something you need to know going into this and going into all our relationships is that we are sinful and fallen people. You will not find a perfect parent. You will not find a perfect son nor a perfect daughter. So let's just get that out of the way to start with, that perfection is possibly a goal to shoot for, but not something we're going to realize. And so let's cut ourselves a little slack and let's cut our parents and our children a little slack as well. So what else can we learn from these examples? Well, one of the things that was a theme in there that I saw is that with Cain and Abel, even before one gets to be murderous, with Cain and Abel, with Esau and Jacob, and with all the 12 sons of Jacob, kids are different. In fact, kids are quite often different from birth. And this is certainly my experience, not in the sense of one being bad or one being good, but of having different personalities and different interests. And sometimes those interests fit in well within their family, like Esau's, and sometimes they fit in poorer in their family, like Jacob's. And so, for instance, I have two kids, and my wife and I both have engineering degrees. Neither one of our kids ended up being an engineer or being interested in math and science. Not necessarily that they weren't good at it, but they just weren't interested in that. Would it have been my desire that they share my love for math and science? Yes. Would it have been my desire that they be like me in other ways? Certainly. But that is not something that is appealing to them. That is something that is different from them. We happen to have one who's very sociable, unlike her two parents, and one who's very artistic, again, unlike his two parents. And so we need to look at the examples of how they were treated and sometimes look at the examples and not do that and not give one child the coat of many colors, not basically single out one child as being the favorite. I'm fortunate that having a son and a daughter, I have a favorite son and I have a favorite daughter, but if we'd had one more child, I certainly would have had to drop that language. Because each of my children from birth was different. One was very content to be on his own and entertain himself and still is. One desired to be held and still is very relational-based and still has lots of friends and lots of relationships. And she was that way from birth. She really wanted to connect to people. So children are different. And children are different within different families, too. I can think of friends of ours that if you're born into their family, you were probably musical because everybody in that family is musical and there's a strong musical heritage. And 
certainly someone in that family is more likely to be musical than in mine. In my family, it was very important that the children learn a sense of humor. I remember very specifically trying to teach my kids timing because I think that humor is a skill that is necessary to learn. So it wasn't important necessarily that they be an engineer, but it was important to me that they had skills that they could use in life, and humor was one of those. Other friends of ours, if you were in that family, you were probably an athlete, as the mother and father were both athletes. And so children will tend to be similar to their families, but not always. So children are different. Families are different. And your priorities for your kids and your goals for your kids and your dreams for your kids are probably different than mine are for my children. With some notable exceptions, you probably, like me, would like to see your kids find love, find happiness, find joy, find success, whatever that means. But how we define all of those things may, in fact, be different. So next week, as we get back into this study, we're going to go back to what we started doing last week was fruitful parenting, using those fruit of the spirit as a common element that the Bible says is part of maturity. So the Bible doesn't say whether or not you have to have a sense of humor, although I, for one, think it's valuable. It does not say whether or not you need to be an athlete, whether or not you need to be good in school. Again, I think those are great things. But it does talk about this fruit of the Spirit as a mark of relational maturity. And the parenting relationship is a relationship of mentoring to try and get someone from point A to point B in their maturity. And if maturity is defined by that fruit of character, then it should be defined that way For all our families, there may be other hopes and dreams that we have for our children, but let's share as Christians this set of dreams for our children, this definition of maturity, because so much can happen if we have that set, if we have that character. And so we're going to be going back and next week we'll look at joy. With that, we'll end the Bible study podcast for this week. Hopefully I'll have a better voice by next week. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. I am looking very seriously now at doing a trip to the Holy Land in June of 2011. Please let me know if you are interested. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.